listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch episode 401. My name's Dave and I'm joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we begin our look at the HBO Max series Be Foreigners. And it's been on our radar for a while. It's going to be uh, fun getting to it. Sad to leave Stargate behind, but yeah, that's what we do, you know? Yep, you got to just we move on. Can't be can't be tied down to any one show. Nah, you know, and, and my wife was asking me, well, how do you guys decide, you know, whether or not to go on to the second season or the third season? I'm like, just, we just go by feel, Mary. Yeah. We just go by feel, you know? Well, when, when, when there's when 10 seasons of, of 20 plus shows, that makes the choice a lot easier to make. Yes, it does. Yes, <laughs> it does. And uh, we'll go from there. All right. Anyway, for you guys, if you want to shoot us some feedback, questions, whatever, as always, the email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. If you want to send an audio clip the way Fred does each week, just record it, send it as an attachment, join the Facebook group if you haven't already. All right. What I'm watching this week, um, I'm still watching crime dramas. I'm just not going to mention them, but I do want to mention two shows, one of which I've mentioned before. They're both Netflix shows. Season three of Formula One Drive to Survive just dropped on Netflix. I'm a big Formula One fan. I'm I'm a big racing car fan in general. And it's really a great show. I mean, behind the scenes of what goes into, you know, these guys that are driving these cars at 225 miles an hour. And and there basically is hardly any body in the car or of the car. So when they do crash, it's just remarkable that nobody or, or very few people do get killed. But really good on Netflix, 38, 40-minute episodes. But the other show, and, and I'm, I'd be surprised if you didn't at least notice it in your Netflix feed, and that is The Lost Pirate Kingdom. Have you checked it out or uh, you don't no, have you even seen it? I don't know if I have. Well, I, I took a look at the, you know, the little trailer thinking, all right, pirates, and then I see up in the upper left-hand corner, nudity. Like, all right. Pirates and uh, Check. I'm there. There's- there's two boxes checked off. All right. Well, what it turns out, it, it's sort of a uh, combination documentary, fictionalized live action story. So they've got actors. They've got uh, Derek Jacoby as the the narrator. Okay. And it's pretty good. I, I mean, I'm I'm certainly going to finish. It's only like six episodes, and it's pretty interesting. And 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 certainly we all have learned bits and pieces about pirates throughout you know our our education but yeah sure i mean johnny depp taught me everything i need to know (laughs) yeah well um you know the whole idea of pirates of the caribbean and and the fact that pirates were in many cases the robin hoods of their era as they saw it stealing from the rich and giving some to the poor but keeping a lot for ourselves but but the one interesting (laughs) thing that that many, not, and certainly not all, but many of the the more prominent pirates, what they would do would they'd attack the slave ships, and then free the slaves. And in fact, in many cases, the the freed slaves would sign on as pirates. And you know, I found that pretty interesting. But mm-hmm. it's a pretty good show so far. So I'm, I'm going to finish it up in the next couple of days. Uh, Lost Pirate Kingdom on Netflix. And if you're a racing fan, Formula One Drive to Survive. All right. That's cool. all I got. Um, so I took the plunge and actually watched uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Okay. Uh, I've seen it pop up on Amazon, uh, on HBO on Max. HBO, right. Well, did you see that it was like four hours long? I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's prohibitive. <laughs> Um, even for you yeah i mean i i didn't because honestly i didn't really like the original justice league movie you know it there was obviously the 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 whole story of the creation of that movie is is very sad on the one hand because Zack snyder's daughter um killed herself and that's why he you know stopped the project or his what he pulled out from the project in the first place and obviously that that is very sad and terrible and, and tragic. Um, and then Joss Whedon came in and they and they thought he would just avenger it up and 
I think it's probably one of the big problems with the original is that, you know, he it is too much. He tries to make it like the Avengers, and it just doesn't work. It's not the same, you know. It's just it's a different tone, different characters, just that kind of semi-light-hearted uh, tone just didn't didn't really work out well. And so Zack Snyder comes in and makes the movie he said he always wanted to make, which is, of course, a lie. There's no way if he had, if, if, if fate had not intervened and he'd been able to stick with it, there's no way he was going to release a four hour long movie. There's not a chance, and no one would go see it if he did. So um, there, there's absolutely, this, this is just like any other director's cut where basically the director said, you know, if, if it, weren't a consideration of the you know normal human attention span then this is the movie i would have released so is it better or worse than the original well again coming in with a i thought the the first one was pretty bad in the first place so it is maybe a slight step up we get a lot more information and background we the 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 major ridiculous plot contrivances of the original one are a little bit better explained i still feel his plot was pretty ridiculous um and and insensible but uh but hey you know that's just me uh so i would you know my 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 basic takeaway is that if you were a fan of the original Justice League movie, you will probably really like this movie. Uh, if you were not a fan of the original Justice League movie, this is not really going to appreciably change your opinion of it. And uh, you'll just probably at the end feel like that's four hours you could have been watching Stargate or something. Okay. So, All right. so that's my All take right. on that. And uh, you can edit this out if we haven't talked about it, by the way. Uh, did we talk about Tribes of Europa when you were watching it? Uh, we did not. I just mentioned that I did watch it. Okay. Because uh, I watched it too. And, and okay. That was, uh, that again, Dave, you, you steered me in the uh, the right direction with, with Tribes of, of Europa. That was that was great. And I wish there were another six episodes long at, at the end. So. Now, as I recall, it had a really heavy cliffhanger. I don't but, think it's a heavy cliffhanger. It's just, you know, like, a, it's, you know, how, how Stargate gave us that half a story, you know? Like, there was no resolution. They just, the story just stopped. Um, at least in Tribes of Europa, you know, the the conflicts that the characters have been experiencing, for the most part, get some, at least some semblance of resolution. And then they, you know, the, at the very end, they kind of, have this scene that shows you the next big, you know, where, where the show is going next. And I thought it was really well done. It, 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 it didn't make me feel like the end of the season one of Stargate where I was just like, are you kidding me? You know? Um, okay. I felt like, okay, that that's cool. I'm um, kind of like the end of uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, right? Where the, the last scene is a, a big one showing this show's going a new direction and then they canceled it. Right. But, um, uh, hopefully Tribes of Europa gets a, a season two and we can see where these characters are going. All right. Well, let me uh, set you up for the next segment. And for those of you that have been with Sci-Fi TV Rewatch back when we were actually called Fatalists, uh, you might remember Wayne and his Project X segments, and he's got one for us tonight. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who weren't with us back in the Fatalist days, uh, Project X was just basically I would come on, because especially with Lost Girl, there was a lot of especially like mythological stuff and everything that um, they didn't necessarily really explain a lot in the show. So I would just kind of do a quick uh, research of what the the fate of the week basically was. We talk about that. Uh, haven't really had a chance to do it because it really hasn't been anything. Not that there it wasn't ever, but there wasn't anything that struck, stuck out, struck, stuck, stuck, stuck out at me, um, like a couple things that popped up in Beforeners uh, episode one. And the first thing was something I knew nothing about was this idea of the Roost bus. Okay, and, and I had to I had to look that one up as well. Yeah, so. We have a thing in 
um, I guess it's probably, maybe, I don't know if everyone does this, but um, you know, we have what we call senior week here, where after students graduate, they go to Ocean City, Maryland for a week and they kind of whoop it up and party and they're, you know, away from their parents. And it's a little rite of passage that kids in Maryland uh, go through. Um, this is a similar thing on steroids. Um, <laughs> the Rus are the, the, the kids in their last year of secondary school, and they take anywhere from five to three weeks in late April, early May to just whoop it up for like at least three weeks. Um, the difference being that they haven't taken their exams yet. So they do all this right before exams, and which is crazy to me, but this whole thing is, is kind of crazy. So the kids, what we see with, with Ingrid here, she and her friends are, everyone's pitching in to buy a van, and then they're going to, they gave her the theme, Bend Over Express, and uh, they're going to paint it and with the theme and, and their group, that's going to be their group, and then they would go around in this van. And um, apparently the kids today now get uh, drivers because well, these kids have mostly turned 18 and 18 is the age at which they can now legally drink. And they actually get their driver's license at 18 as well. So obviously that is a really bad combination to just kid, get kids who are just getting their license and just able to drink and then sending them out on the road. So I think most families nowadays hire someone to drive them around for three weeks, which must – I mean, I just – the cost of this must be staggering. Uh, I would think. I mean, we talk about the cost of these kids renting a limo for prom, which is, you know, four to six hours. My God, three yeah. weeks. Yeah, a driver for three weeks. It is, it's crazy. So, but, so, you know, so so that really puts in context because the first time I watched this, I didn't really know what Ingrid was talking about, especially when she came to her mother and Gregor's to ask them. I, I didn't. I didn't really get it, but now that I know, and we'll talk about it when we get to that part, but I'm just, you know, um, saying that this is, it's definitely a rite of passage, and it sounds like something that pretty much every Norwegian kid does, and uh, like I said, much like senior week, except uh, longer, and the drinking is, pro I mean, there's a number of 17-year-olds, too, so it's not like everyone's going to be legal, but it looks like uh, they, uh, the Norwegians treat it with a kind of... Um, you know, is the youthful enthusiasm that it is and uh, are pretty kind of understanding of the behavior of the students. So if you were in a store at this time and a young person was crawling around trying to bite your heels, instead of thinking this person is disturbed, you'd just be, oh, yeah, you're a senior in high school then, aren't you? <laughs> right. I mean, we had a vague understanding of it, but, you know. Yeah. You've I just didn't realize the extent of it, you know. Um, so the other thing is on the radio at one point, there's a, uh, I guess it's a Victorian era radio announcer saying, uh, talking about how calling Oslo Christiania. Right. And I was like, wait, what? And I looked it up and, and so, you know, Christiania, well, Oslo was the name of the city where it was way back in the day. And then around, uh, the 17th century, it was destroyed and a new city built nearby named Christiania after the king, I guess it was King Christian. Um, and then in 1925, the city of Christiania incorporated the village of Oslo and then changed its name back to Oslo. So, but that happened. Obviously, if you were a person living in the Victorian age. I don't think they probably call it the Victorian age in Norway, but the late 19th century, I should say, then, um, or the, even the ninth, just say the 19th century, um, you would certainly know the city as Christiania. So that's what we saw there. And that is it for the, uh, the, the, the long missing episode of Project X. All right. Well, let's get on to some be foreigners. Episode one, there are no episode titles for this season, directed by Jens Lien, written by Anne Bjordstadt and Elif Skadvin, and I'm sure I mispronounced those. This is HBO Nordic's first original series from Norway. 
and it was released in 2019. It just didn't get over here until 2020. Six episodes. There will be a second season, and it's currently airing on HBO Max in the United States. And the two main actors, Nikolai Klev Brosh as Lars Haaland and Krista Kosinen as Alfidar. And as Fred points out in his feedback, I'm sure we all noticed several actors from Ragnarok, which was definitely cool. So one of the things that we do have to come to terms with in this show, once we talk about the premise, which we will in a minute, are these time periods, the Stone Age, the Viking era, the 19th century. Obviously, we've got a good handle on the 19th century. A lot of us who have watched Vikings have a pretty good handle on what time period we're talking about there. But I had to do a little bit of research on the Stone Age, which ended somewhere between 8700 BC and 2000 BC. And, you know, we've got the Stone Age, and then, of course, copper, bronze, and, and the introduction of those as metals pretty much signifies the end of the Stone Age. So I guess I had this idea that the Stone Age people were really, really backward, which really isn't the case. Because as we move through this episode, one of the questions that I have you know, focuses on the Stone Age people and, you know, why we see them sitting in trees with, you know, mud all over their bodies. But we'll get to that in a second. You know, in this opening sequence, we see Lars and his wife purchasing this condo on on the water. Seems like a pretty nice place for somebody on a policeman's salary, but whatever. He gets a call that people are appearing in a nearby body of water and When the translator tells him that these people think they're from the past, dude's reaction is to call psychiatric services, which is exactly what he should do. Right, right. Unless he looked around and realized that he was in a, you know, genre television show, in which case he would say, oh boy, this is, this is going to be something weird. Right. And he then notices the TV monitor with reports that this is happening all over the world. So. One of the things that that strikes me as I've watched this, and I've seen this first episode three times now, is this show an overall allegory? I mean, I mean, clearly there are metaphors sprinkled throughout this episode, which you know we'll talk about in a few minutes. But you know, we've got people from the Stone Age, the Viking era, and the 19th century who begin appearing all over the world and now have to integrate into 21st century life. Nobody knows why or how this is occurring, but it certainly puts added stress on an already stressed community. And what strikes me is whether or not this is a metaphor for the stressed immigration situations that virtually every country throughout the world is coping with at this point. I mean, of course, the countries that people are emigrating from don't necessarily have it, but but so many countries do and i've mentioned this right. before yeah absolutely and, and i think it, it's it's hard to ignore statement that they're clearly making to do with immigration and uh people um becoming part of a society and and you know the, the stresses on on both the newcomers and the the old society as they try to find a way to you know respectfully live continue living on right within people obviously bringing with them traditions from where they came from but also then having to in some ways also incorporate into the traditions of the place in which they to to which they've moved um so that, that's definitely part of it but i think it's just also just kind of like you know people are out of place and lars is someone who you know he's, he's not a foreigner you know, but he is seemingly just as out of place as a fielder is. You know, so oh, it, oh it, no question, yeah. yeah. Okay, and the other thing that we see as part of this premise is that these arrivals trigger trigger some sort of electrical interruption, which causes blackouts. And while we we certainly have no idea what's causing 
this to happen, I guess what strikes me is the question whether or not there is some intelligence somewhere that is controlling this because otherwise is it just a a force of nature i mean i was watching a show on the bermuda triangle and they talk about the the you know the the magnetism that is stronger throughout the you know that that triangle area in the caribbean so is it something along those lines and, and then well why just these three time periods right which to me, then implies that there's somebody behind the curtain manipulating what's going on here. Yeah, and which then of, begs of, the question, why? Why on earth would you do this, right? Right. So we don't get an answer to that question at the end of this episode, which is fine. This is a pilot episode. It's, it's meant to set up the situation, the characters, and put into play some conflicts that we can hopefully grab onto. I do like the fact that several years pass after the initial arrivals, which are still occurring. And you and I had a conversation about this a few weeks back as to how much time has passed. And I think you at the time felt like more years than I felt. I just felt it was a few years. And I think I, yeah, well, I mean, I based it. No, I think I based it on a photograph of Lars' family, and and I think we saw his daughter at an age that okay. Now we know she's seventeen-ish. You know, as you said in your feedback, you know, maybe or in your Project X, maybe eighteen, but seventeen-ish. So, I mean, I guess it could be at the high end ten years, but that just seems a long time. I think his wife is pregnant in that first scene. Do you really? Okay. Yeah, I was pretty sure. So, I mean, we're talking like a good, like maybe 17 years later. And, you know, Lars has that gray hair now and everything. Well, he does. That's true. So it's, but it's, 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 it's very unclear. Um, and they just say a few years later and then all of a sudden his daughter, I'm pretty sure his wife is, is pregnant at the beginning and all of a sudden he's got a teenager. It's just like, wait, they just said a few years, like, what the hell's going on here? And then, of course, you know his, his wife is—they're you know—they're no longer together. She's living with another guy or married to another guy, and so it's—it is very jarring, right? That we, of course, we don't really learn a lot about Lars in those first couple scenes. Just that he's a police officer with a, a young wife. They seem happy together, and then he gets called to. You know, find out what's going on with the these people arriving, and then boom, click. Next thing you know, he's no longer with his wife. The kid is a senior in high school, seventeen, eighteen years old, and he is doesn't seem like the with it guy that he seemed in that first scene. He just seems like a lot more of a mess now. Yeah, and while at the heart of this first episode is this murder investigation into the death of a Viking era woman whose body washes up on this shore in Oslo. So far, yes, this is a crime drama, but it's also a genre show. There's certainly heavy science fiction elements. And you and I have both taught science fiction to our students for many, many years. And whatever definition, you know, we choose to use at any given moment, one of the things that science fiction can do is ask those what if questions And, you know, one of the things that I always brought up with my students is that you take a situation and you throw an element into it that wouldn't be possible in the situation as we know it. Now what? What if this happened? And that's pretty much what we've got here. And you can see how all of, you know, these social aspects are going to unfold and, to me, that that's one of the most interesting things of this story. And- right, right. And we get to see things like um, Alfielder as a new cop, as one who's perceived as a as a mascot or a token because of who she, you know because of her you know whatever her her race, religion, whatever you know her immigrant status, having to prove herself 
when people don't think she's earned the position that she's 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 gotten. Right. And we do get that little flashback that gives us the piece of information that's pretty critical about her is that she's a freaking shield maiden. Right. So honestly, if I'm a cop, that's who I want my partner to be. Right. So the question is whether or not they know that about her, whether or not she has revealed that about her past or not. So, but we know it now. And and as you said, yeah, damn right. I'd want her on my side. And and certainly we get the scene in the bathroom later on. We'll we'll get to that in a few minutes where uh, I think Lars eyes are opened up just a bit about this new partner that has been thrust upon him and and like everybody else in the precinct he was not real happy about it but you know that's certainly beginning to change so well, well yeah the well, bot- just, uh, that scene you know, because for him it's like all right see i told you this is how that you know like it seems like she's playing into what is probably i would assume the stereotype like the vikings come and they just want to you know, get in fights and drink and be rowdy and, and uh, kill people and stuff. And so for Lars, it's like, oh, well, here you go, playing the stereotype, and, and and which, you know, enables him to not see her as a person, right, but to see her as, right. a, as an object or a thing. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned the rust bus in your Project X, and the body is found on the Norwegian beach by a bunch of partying kids, and, and whether or not this is the – first stage or the prequel of Russ bus or, or not whatever, but we're introduced to Lars and also his partner who immediately wants to write it off because it's too much trouble. There's too much paperwork. And clearly again, at least to me, this figure and, and she's pretty consistent in, in her approach represents that uncaring portion of society. These people did not ask to come here. Now, you know, we, we talked about whether or not some of this is a metaphor for the immigration issues that so many countries are dealing with. And, and, you know, while some people, they, they did it, they, they went to one country deliberately hoping for a better life. The country that they've come to, you know, didn't necessarily ask for them to come. So I think most of us try to empathize with why these people have left their country and what they hope to gain in, in whatever country they've come to. Right. So I forget her name, but clearly she has zero empathy and it's all about what's the easiest thing we can do so I can get home. And I think she says she's got a bridge night or something like that. And it's like, all right, whatever. Fortunately, Lars is not like that, which again, starts to establish his character that no, she's a human being. We're going to investigate this. He notices, and we notice the marks on the girl's back. I, I immediately thought fishing net. I'm not sure why he didn't make that connection, especially living in a fishing town. Yeah, exactly. I, I assume it's a fishing town. Right. Well, it's, you know, Norway, right? I mean, right, right. <laughs> um, so. Th- yeah, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's like the first thing you think when you see that or or some other type of, of mesh thing, you know, but again, like you're right, she's she's found right by the water, you'd think fishing that would be like the first thing you would think of. Yeah. Now we also get some interesting scenes with Alfadar at the, at the precinct and, and the captain tells her to stick to the scientific world view of our time. And I'm thinking like, why? Okay. She's from, and I think by, by some, something she says, I figure she's from around 1012 or 1020. I, I got it somewhere in my notes. She's from the Viking era, and she even mentions, I thought we were supposed to think outside the box. And why would you not? It's like this whole precinct outside of Lars and Alphadar just seems to want to be mailing it in. And again, is this that we just have no empathy for these people that have washed up on our shores and... You know, we're just going to do what's easiest for us and the hell with them. I mean, it seems to be the case, but 
I really found that fascinating. Stick to the scientific worldview of our time. Right. And, you know, it's it's funny because Lars actually strikes that balance between those. I mean, he's actually the one that figures out what what the actual meaning of the um, <clears throat> the picture is. You know, it's not a sea monster like Alpha Deer thinks it is. It's not nothing as all the other police think it is. And he kind of, by stepping back and ignoring his prejudices, which is that a person from the Norse age is unable to, to, to adequately exist in our world. They're just too primitive, too backward, right? They believe in superstition and magic and things like that. And he takes a step back from that and then looks at it and then he realizes it and, and he gets it. And, and so that's what, um, I, I think that's going to be the, the, the part of the show that is going to be the, like, kind of like the driving force is, is and we, we're seeing that already, is Lars, instead of serving Alfred Deer up, as he does at first, right? Like he, you know, sets her up for mockery. Um, now he's going to have her back. And they're going to be able to work together, and um, because it, you know, he he is unfamiliar with the Norse people, and as as she is with his world, so together they can kind of navigate it, you know, properly. Well, the irony is that she seems to have made more of an effort to learn about the present world which on the one hand you might say well that makes sense if she's going to assimilate into this culture then it behooves her to to make that effort while he doesn't seem to have as much interest i mean certainly more than everybody else in the precinct but but you mentioned that that you thought she thought there really was a monster i mean i i guess i didn't really think that i mean she says that there are things we don't necessarily understand there are things outside of of your understanding but i don't think she necessarily meant monsters but she's from an era where they still believed in the gods and certainly one of the things we learned from vikings is that the viking and the norse mythology clashes with christianity you know in its i don't want to say its infancy but but you know certainly as it's still expanding throughout europe and and other continents so i'm not sure exactly what i think she thinks this girl saw but i mean i guess it could be a monster i guess maybe that is what she thinks but regardless like you said lars goes through that whole procession where he sets her up to be mocked which is what happens and then he is looking at the drawing he crumbles it up throws it in his trash can and then of course as you said later on he pulls it out and has his aha moment. And of course, now we have an idea that, okay, maybe some sort of a human trafficking operation is taking place. Uh, certainly, that's what it seems like, right? Right. But well, why don't we talk about this developing relationship between the two partners? I mean, Lars, what's up with this substance that he's taking, which is clearly illegal? He puts it in his eyes. And we also learn it's something that's given to the travelers upon their arrival, but it's never really explained why. I mean, Alfadar yeah. mentions spending, I forget how what she says, three weeks getting off of it, but we don't really know what it does, why he takes it. He's recovering some from some undisclosed medical condition that's kept him on sick leave. Well, He's they, got this they call it chronic drowsiness. Okay, that like, he has. I have that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I take a nap on the couch for an hour instead of uh yeah. eye drops, but uh <laughs> the, the the thing with his wrist, I mean, is this going to be another character like Patchy from Dark where we never really what's the what's the deal with the eye patch? Well, oh, what's the deal with the I was trying to <laughs> think who you're talking about. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, cuz they 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 show it, right? It's it, it's they they mean to call our attention to the you know that looks like something that what's the uh, carpal tunnel right if you get carpal tunnel syndrome that you sure. would need to uh, put something like that around your wrist so yeah again it's it's unexpl- like there's so much that just changes with Lars and we they just don't explain it. like 
what is the thing on this wrist? Why is he taking the drugs now? Just why is he taking them? Like, what, what do they even do? It's, it's not like, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem like when he takes them that he gets, like, really high or anything. He just kind of maybe chills. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't get him. It's not like he, he, you know, puts a drug in, cranks up the EDM and, and starts raging in his house with fluorescent lights or something. Um, you know, he just kind of puts it in and just kind of sits back and, you know, so it, it's, it's unclear what, why he's taking the drugs. If, if it's, he cl- obviously claims it's some kind of medical necessity. What that is, we don't know. There's just a lot we, we just don't know. But the, I think you're absolutely right in that the fact that Alpha Deer, you know, through Alpha Deer, we learned that this is something given to the people who arrive right when they arrive. That certainly raises some eyebrows. Like, why is he taking a drug that the, the uh, what do they call them, the temporally displaced or whatever? Uh, yeah. Do. Right. Now, I guess I assumed and and we don't have any clarity yet on it that it was given to the arrivals perhaps to calm them because understandably they're completely freaked out they were in one world one second and they're in this new world the next second so i assumed it was maybe something to calm them down and as you said it seems to mellow him out to where he's usually just you know reclines on his couch but the dude he buys it from is he stone age or viking era yeah i don't i don't know he's he's not in a tree so i'm going to go with norse era um, that's what i thought and, and and we get that scene where he and his daughter are i guess he's taking her to school and the elevator opens and there's a goat yeah. in the elevator and then later when he goes to his drug dealer he and his son are all bloodied and and you know i guess he says well the landlord said we couldn't have the goat so <laughs> we're butchering it it's you gotta do be what dinner. you gotta do right so uh, yeah, i thought and- that was cool be- because he's assimilating into the culture he's a drug dealer right yeah exactly and and you know fred had a problem with you know stuff like that i thought that was the the best part of the show how they they show that how yeah like this the 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 not just the clash but the melding of these cultures right and how people get on in the modern world but yet still hold on to so much of their practices and beliefs and culture from their the world that they came from right and i guess that's why i feel it's so important that we get some sense of how much time has elapsed because if, as you posit, 17 or 18 years has elapsed and some of them are still living as they're living, I guess we have to question why. And again, that's part of the fascination of this story. I mean, certainly you want to retain parts of your culture, but you know, once they invented the automobile, I'm pretty sure I don't really have much use for a buggy whip anymore and a horse-drawn carriage so but you know yet, why not if you drive up to lancaster county well that's true that know? is true and, yep. and so. that's how you know we don't call them primitive or backwards it's just that's the way they choose to live right yeah, um, yeah. so and i think that's kind of indicative of, of what would happen to what has occurred with immigrant populations in every country ever since the dawn of time, that when they first arrive at the place, and certainly in America, this is this is why we have a Chinatown, or you can go to Highland Town in Baltimore, and that's where all the Irish are, um, or Little Italy and things like that. You know, there's places where uh, people collected and 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 lived next to each other with other people uh, that they knew from their previous experience because. That way, at least, as they tried to navigate the new world, they would um, be still have something familiar around them. They'd have a community that they understood who understood them. But, of course, uh, with passing years, like, you know, I mean, Little Italy's not nearly as big. Greek town in Baltimore, still a lot of people there of Greek extraction still live there, but a lot not because the kids grow up and they move out. Right. right? Sure. Yep. 
So, um, you know, ultimately, yeah, like after through a, a passage of, you know, give it 50, 100 years, um, ultimately those communities are, are not, you know, what they were and not as many uh, people living there because, like I said, the, the succeeding generations don't want to stay there. They want to go and, and integrate into the, the larger society and culture. Right. Now, you know, we've talked about how the two of them are kind of getting off on the wrong foot because, as we've mentioned, he sets her up to be made a fool of in front of the whole precinct. Later, he leaves a pack of sanitary napkins on her desk. And, uh, of course, that's a response to her getting out of the car and grabbing some moss. (laughs) And she's gracious. And by the fact that she, she takes it for what it was meant, which is a peace offering, we know they're on the right track, and she says it's in the little things that the big things let themselves be known. And he's like, Havamal? Referring to poems from the Norse era? No, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we just talked about Jack O'Neill getting all the best lines. Well, she got the best line of this episode for sure. Right. Um, I think just how open she is to talk about it with him, and, like, you know, that, that definitely shows – you know, like what she is as a person, like, and it's not necessarily say it's just because of her, her culture. I mean, she is an open person, right? She doesn't keep secrets. Uh, she's, you know, like she, she says what she thinks. Right. And that's kind of like yeah. what we saw with the, the sea monster. Um, you know, she, she didn't like really run that through the editor thinking, what would people think of this? She just put it out there that, um, what she thought. Right. And, she is one of the few to actively assimilate at least that we're introduced to at this point. Yeah. I mentioned earlier, I'm figuring she's circa 1012 AD because of what she says when she meets that guy in the bathroom. And, and and the fascinating thing there, we think at first she's scoping dating apps, which I guess to a certain extent she is, or else some sort of a, a app that's that allows the different eras to connect with each other. But I mean, certainly that's, you know, our, our 21st century sensibility thinks like it's a dating app. And we're thinking like, well, she's a nice looking woman. Why the heck is she looking at these people? But then we learn she's on a hunt for vengeance and we get that scene in the bathroom where she just bites that guy <laughs> and she's beating the crap out of yeah. him. And, and fortunately Lars comes in and and you know saves her from you know, probably killing the guy I, would she have killed him who knows i mean yeah, he's a yeah i, I don't I, you yeah, know i think she was just going for you give you a nice kicking yeah but but the other fascinating thing we learn that she has student loans that once she got a job she got kicked out of the dorms and she lives in this trailer which is a, a rather grim existence and the thing that strikes me after watching it three times when she goes back into her trailer, uh, I think he Lars drops her off there and she's just kind of sitting there compared to what she left in the Viking era. It's probably pretty nice. In many right? ways. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's pretty grim. And, and again, we don't know how long she's been there. We don't know when she arrived. She really seems to have assimilated into 21st century culture in so many ways. So how many people are like her? We don't really know yet, but really just a fascinating character. And that kind of leads into the other storyline, which we kind of danced around a little bit, the mixed era relationships that are developing and societal adaptations that are taking place. You mentioned Lars' ex-wife, who's now with 19th century Gregor, and they seem to be promoting regressive ideas, which I guess some people might argue is a good thing, but uh, not a 17-year-old high school girl, probably. That annoys, they just annoyed the crap out of me, you know? And I guess part of it is we see, Gregor with, uh, I can't even remember what his wife's name is, but. Ah, I can't either. Um, and they seem happy. And all of a sudden she's with some other dude. So, um, 
not Gregor Lars, and and of course we, you know, we we can't, we're on Team Lars, right? Because we spent almost the entire show so far with him, so we already have built some sympathy for him. And of course, you know, seeing your ex with another dude, all right, that's tough. But you know, guys have to to deal with that. But he's just that guy. Oh, that guy Gregor's is just the worst, right? Like sitting there smoking his pipe, like with their freaking Elizabethan condescension. Oh, they are cutting their daughter off. They're, it's her money, first of all, and they're blocking her bank account so she can't go on the Roost bus and with all her friends and do this. And let's face it, I guarantee you mom did that when she was 18. So, you know, she, mom got to whoop it up back in her day, but now she's really, I think, kind of like a poser with this Victorian era BS and, um, you know, denying her daughter, you know, the, a traditional rite of passage because they don't like the name of the bus. I mean, come on. Right. And I, again, one of the fascinating aspects of this show is how these four radically different cultures are now going to coexist because, as you said, this is typical teenage behavior that's now run into this 19th century value brick wall and something's got to give here. And, you know, we get that great scene. And of course their daughter Ingrid was Isolde in Ragnarok and a character in Ragnarok that we would have been nice to see her more. Very but, shocked at her early exit and yes, very saddened by that. Cause she was great. Right. Right. But, you know, how are these different groups going to to work within, you know, the, the larger framework? And I wonder, the groups that are chronologically closer, are they more likely to assimilate into that group? In other words, are the 19th century individuals more likely to assimilate into 21st century culture? Are the Stone Age individuals more likely to fit better with the Viking era rather than making that leap over the Viking era to the 19th or even the 21st. Right. Well, and certainly the people from the 19th century have the, the least amount of culture shock, right? Um, I mean, there's still a pretty considerable amount, but still, um, you know, cars and photos and television sets you know, I mean, obviously, that's a big leap from their their experience, but not too much, probably. You know, well, uh, well, and that's the thing. I mean, are Stone Age members too technologically stunted to truly make a go of things? I mean, we see Alphadar; she looks like a, a normal twenty five year old with a smartphone, right? And well, th- those things are are really user friendly. I mean, those things are so easy to navigate nowadays. Well, they are. I, I agree with you, but but still, this is I guess, again somebody from 1012 AD, and you know, making that leap. But the Stone Age, which you know, again could be as much as four, five, six thousand years, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the past. So we don't know. Um, we we get yeah, some. We great- don't even know. Like, I mean, I mean, not to sound bad, but like, what's their language acquisition at that point you know well that's true that's true and, and, and we get a lot of mixed imagery the 19th century gra- uh, guy driving a horse and buggy while he's wearing earbuds yeah. and the the stone age guy in the tree with headphones on yeah. we see that high wheeler leaning up against the wall so there's a lot of the imagery and you, you mentioned earlier the radio broadcaster that apparently there are radio stations that are geared to the specific time periods so while we didn't necessarily hear one that was geared toward the stone age um stone age guy in the trees got headphones he's listening to something yeah Yeah. let's have springstone maybe yeah yeah (laughs) bruce springstone (laughs) yeah um some norwegian death metal you know like well, it'll again, it'll be interesting to see their relationship develop as it goes along and and whether or not we're going to get more of her backstory. Again, as I said, how long has she been here? What has she actually gone through to get to this point? Again, she was a shield maiden and 
you know, when we saw her in the flashback, and I and I guess to a certain extent, um, you know, she looks approximately the same age in that flashback that she is now. I mean, you know, give or take a few years. Right. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Why do they appear in the water? Uh, obviously, still no explanations for the time migrations. None of them apparently have memories of time travel. And then, as we said before, why these three time periods as opposed to anything else? Right. Did you get, see that scene where the teacher's in the classroom yes. explaining time travel and implying that travel to the past is impossible and and that's again something that even somebody like einstein and and stephen hawking has explored that okay time travel would theoretically be possible to the future but not the past for you know variety of reasons so in, in these cases these are all people that are traveling to the future which then i guess implies that well there's no way they can go back and we're not going to expect somebody from 2500 like in travelers <laughs> coming right. back to the past right you know hopefully we'll get some more clarity on that but but the other thing the concept of hate crimes comes up and and you know we talked about the problems that these immigrants are having just you know, aside from the fact that they were you know in the stone age at one point now they find themselves in the 21st century the, the whole idea of hate crimes which is not unusual a- again why i wonder whether this is going to turn out to be an allegory overall you know uh, masquerading as a sci-fi tale and you know um i wouldn't mind finding out what the deal is with lars and his drug dependence but uh what else we need to talk about that we haven't already um just really quickly i mean obviously it it is a little bit of a betrayal with lars uh he's going to give ingrid the money to go on the roost bus and you know which is i mean i i i am not divorced but i can imagine that uh, parents who share custody of a child especially have a system worked out and part of that's got to be they got to back each other up with the decisions that they make and he is completely going to go behind her back now that being said you know the his ex-wife kind of went behind Ingrid's back right they didn't tell her that they were blocking her bank account they just went and did it and didn't talk it over with her at all so you know there could be a case made for them deserving it a little bit but also it's a bit of a betrayal but i don't think anyone would really condemn lars for for doing what he does because you know clearly um his wife is so clearly in the wrong with uh with what she's doing with her daughter here and that yeah this would certainly seem to be one of those things that that all three parents should have consulted with each other and come to some sort of a uh, agreement so right. yeah and i love that definitely. when when she tells him that their bus is named the bendover express that he he laughs at it you know right he sees sure. it for what it is right he's uh he's a a modern parent and he gets it and he was a kid once too so he gets it right whereas his wife has got you know big stick up her butt and acting like you know a 19th century prude and and uh you know and i get that there's people who have uh, legitimate beefs and probably there's a number of parents who look at the 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 um these traditions that the kids do at the end of the year as horrific i think it seems like from what i've read and of course i don't know for sure but it seems like most people look at as as kind of uh just uh good fun that uh of young people having fun so well, yeah, but the other interesting thing centers around the fact that his ex-wife chooses to go back rather than right. go forward. Why? Yeah. Was it something with Lars, right? Did Was there whatever caused them to break up? Was it so bad that she would rather live as if she were in a previous century and almost try to ignore what's going on in this century? Yeah. So, all right. Anything else? Well, uh, one thing is that, um, as we see with Alfield Deer, is that, uh, you know, in the, the 21st century, there is, you know, you can get payback for beef from uh, the previous era that you lived in. Right. Um, yeah. And she might not have been able to 
get back at this guy back in the day. But now he's just a regular slob. He, whoever he was, he's he's not some great warrior anymore. He's just some regular slob and, you know, she can take him down. Yep. And she does. Now, whether he's going to come after her because of that, well, we'll, we'll see when we move on to the next episode. Right. So, okay. yeah, that's all I got. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we listen to what Fred's got for us this week, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Beforeness Season 1, Episode 1, or if it's a miniseries, Episode 1 of the miniseries. In previous podcasts, you were already a little enthusiastic about the first episode. Well, I'm not that much, but I am going to give it a try, of course. There is a lot quite implausible here, and I really have to get over that. So, for instance, this whole arriving of people from other times, and especially how they live in our times. They, they still keep their habits, okay, but they're still driving around with carriages, living on the streets like savages with goats, etc. Okay, I can understand that you keep your values and keep your habits, but this is a bit exaggerated. That police sergeant, or whatever his rank is, Harold, is of course the funny note, but also that is a little bit exaggerated. He is too much a caricature of himself. Funny, of course, was on rewatch, is because it says you nothing at the beginning, when Alf Hildar puts on her uniform for the first time, that Harold picks up a piece of moss from the floor, and you actually don't notice it. It, it goes by, and your memory have to be very good that when later on she stops Lars and takes some moss in the park, as a sanitary napkins that it was as well one in the beginning of the episode, and that Harold picks it up and gives it to her back. And talking about that, when Alf Hildor asks Lars to stop in the park, she gets some moss. But the way she puts it in her trousers is so overdone and takes too much time. Again, exaggerated. Also this guy where Lars gets his drugs that is slaughtering some animal together with his child. And he opens the door fully blooded. But also the little child is full with blood. Okay, possible, but again exaggerated and the problem with these exaggerations is is that it constantly takes me out of the story and gets me annoyed which is not very nice in general and especially not for a pilot another nitpick is that for instance that they make a photograph of this dead woman this dead beforeoner and then they show this photo to some newcomers well I think a newcomer would totally flip out of something like a photograph. If you are from the 10th or the 11th century and you see a photograph, how can you make an, an image of a person? That must be something of the devil. And they just look at it and say, oh no, I don't recognize it. Oh no, I don't recognize it. And then they show it to that one girl and she recognizes possibly the dead woman. The eye drops that uh, Lars takes reminded me, by the way, very much of the eye drops that Olivia Godfrey took in Hemlock Grove. One, of course, should never skip a Hemlock Grove reference when one can. Okay, what did I like? I did like that they made quite quickly a skip to a few years later, so that they didn't linger on in the beginning of this process of arriving of people from other times and how they had to cope with that. What I did like is that we see some people from Ragnarok here. So, for instance, one of the police, harbor police officers, I think, that gets a shot uh, in his behind, his tattoo behind in the beginning. I don't know if you had recognized him he is called Jeppe in this series, but he is, of course, Eric from Ragnarok. And the funny thing is, I don't know if you have recognized her, is that Lars's daughter, Ingrid, 
is actually Eric's daughter in Ragnarok, Isolde, the girl that died after a paragliding incident and was actually perhaps becoming more or less Ragnarok's girlfriend. So Magnus, he is Ragnarok, Magnus' girlfriend. What I further liked is the bickering between Alf Hilder and Lars. That's that's quite nice, I think. So in the total, if it exists, I would give it a C plus. If I want to give this series a chance, I would go to a B minus. But that is then really the maximum. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, so Fred finds the premise implausible. All right, well let's uh, yeah. <laughs> let's backtrack here. Okay, we covered travelers, so people from 500 years in the future send their consciousness back into bodies in the 21st. We've got Lost Girl, um, you know, vamp. Well, I guess there weren't vampires, but succubus and yeah, all. Um, manner of other werewolves uh, creatures uh werewolves right uh, we've got the magicians we've got ragnarok we've got stargate so you know and i know fred gives feedback to winona erp uh, so i i mean yeah i mean of course it's implausible we, we, but we, yeah we kind of live in implausible exactly um but i, I, but I he do means. he means like even he saw it as being even more over the top than than Typical genre shows. You're right. right, but see, I don't. I mean, no, I, I don't I, either. Again, yeah, I have to. I mean, I think of the other shows that I that I watch. Well, Lucifer, you know, the shows that I cover for Den of Geek. Okay, the uh, the the premise is that the devil has left hell and is now living in Los Angeles and running a nightclub. Okay, I'm I'm down with that. Um, I've actually a, been to that place. So a, a <laughs> volcano has erupted in um i forget colorado wherever and and the ash is covering the sun and blocking it out which allows the vampires to come out from the shadows and now we've got so yeah i'm okay with that i do agree with him though it does seem improbable that so many would stay in the past i mean you know as you mentioned earlier of course you want to retain elements of your culture but why would you not take advantage of modern conveniences in in many cases maybe uh, not all but but certainly right. but I, many. I think kind of the beauty of this show is in you know I, I think it wraps up that guy driving a horse and buggy with earbuds in right like that 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 synthesis of these different worlds and cultures kind of coming together and they're not going to come together seamlessly Right, right, sure. A person from the Viking Age isn't just going to pop up in 2021 and be able to get along every day and, and you know, you know, navigate the world as as we do. Um, so there's going to be some kind of melding of the cultures in there that 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 we see. So I, I kind of like it's very postmodern. I thought. Yeah. Now he mentions that scene when they go to the the immigration. I guess receiving area where they're processing them and I guess putting them in some sort of a containment facility and, and treating them if they need to be treated medically. And they're showing that photo around. And, you know, Fred mentions that, you know, he, he found that a little off putting that he thought the photo would, would shock the, the girl from the Viking era and I guess I thought, all right, e even though they haven't been released into the wild yet, given everything they've seen since they've been brought here, I think a photograph would be the least of their issues. So, um, you know, I mean, they do know drawings, right? But um, so I, I guess I didn't have a problem. Yeah, with that. I mean, I'll have to admit, I did think that as well when they're like showing the the photograph. I'm like. But then, then I thought, well, you know, maybe these aren't people who just arrived. You know, if they'd been here for a while, because obviously, you know, it's going to take a while to acclimate people into the, the 21st century, right? So it's not like someone is just going to be at this place for like a week. Uh, they might be there for multiple weeks, maybe a couple months uh, before they are able to go out and, and you know, be on their own. 
So it's possible that these people have been there a while and so would understand what a, a photograph is. Um, but I, I did think that as well, that if these people are just arrived, uh, showing people a photograph is probably going to freak them out. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a quarantine period before they're released into the world. I mean, we're certainly advanced enough to know that there are diseases that they could be, bring with them, not the least of which is the plague, yep. for, for one. So, again, whether they're there for weeks, it's certainly more than a few days, I would think. So it's probably weeks, maybe months. And they're all issued their gray track suits with yeah. uh, orange trim, which, which was kind of kind of funny. Yeah, but not bad. You know, it could be worse. But but uh, but yeah, Fred gives it a C plus B minus. I'm certainly going a little bit higher. I'm I'm going B plus. Yeah, I, I was thinking B plus as really, well. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was a really good pilot for a premise that is really unusual. I, I mean, so many shows these days are really just rehashing things we've seen already. Yes. And, and uh, you know, this is not one of them. No, no. It's a very, very fresh idea. And, you know, again, we've talked about this a, a number of times, how you know, sh- showrunners, they want to leave familiar aspects in there. So we get the, the, the cop buddy, you know, set up. Uh, we get the fish out of water, the new young police officer being paired up with the kind of the grizzled older veteran and so and and these uh you know the these kind of uh tropes i don't know i shouldn't call them tropes but these these conventions that we're very familiar with um then they work them in with the very unusual premise of 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 the basic premise of the show um and i, I think that I, I think they really do a pretty skillful job of incorporating the, both those elements Sounds good. Uh, you want to leave it there? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. All right, good. So, uh, yeah, I'm certainly excited about this show, and hopefully you guys are too. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Be Foreigners, uh, you know, our run with Stargate, anything else in your genre world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to talk about episode two of the HBO Max series, Be Foreigners. But until then... You know, I'm not even going to set this one up there. I'm just going to say, it's like having a soft kitty in your underwear. <laughs> <laughs>